Welcome to the serialized short story audiobook Blood is Red, written and performed by author Scott Sigler. Get the stories in Blood is Red for all ebook readers from scottsigler.com slash blood is red or from that same page as a full-length audiobook. You can also buy the Blood is Red ebook directly from the Kindle store, the Nook store, Apple's iBooks, and from Google Books. This book contains harsh language, adult situations, and lots and lots of violence. So if you're easily offended, fire up some Justin Bieber instead and enjoy. Hunter Hunterson and Sons by Scott Sigler. An excerpt from Hunter Hunterson's Hunter Diary, Tales of the Hunt. We hunt monsters. It's what we do. We also hunt bail skippers, parole violators, the netherworld's most wanted, all kinds of shit like that. But we hunt monsters is what's on our business cards. It's what makes the phone ring, so we stick with that. My name is Hunter. Hunter Hunterson. Me and my family got us a little business. A dangerous business. Now, I co-run the thing with my wife, Betty Lou, of course, but I'm what you'd call the figurehead of the company. When it comes to stomping ass on a zombie or pulling the ticket of a Class 3 vapor, well, Betty Lou mostly stays in a station wagon. My boys, on the other hand, they usually come with me. I got three boys. Bo, Luke, and Billy Mac. Bo and Luke are good boys. They're tall, strong, and hard-working. They get a little out of control from time to time, especially when the beer starts to flow, but they take after their daddy in that regard, and I turned out all right. Not to say I let them run wild or anything. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's what the Bible tells me. Occasionally, the garden needs weeding, if you know what I'm saying. Bo and Luke, they don't much care for weeding time. My third son, Billy Mack, I figure he's from his mother's side of the family. Back home in Kentucky, Billy Mack is what we would call a fucking retard. But here in San Francisco, apparently, they don't take kindly to that kind of nomenclature, so we just call him what he is, a lazy, good-for-nothing idiot. I also got me a daughter named Sunshine, Sunshine Hunterson. God damn if she ain't hell on wheels with a sword. And my little sweet 13-year-old girl can shoot a crab off a werewolf's nutsack from a hundred yards in a wind so stiff you wouldn't piss in it if you've been holding for a week straight. I love her to death, I tell you. Yep, it's a family business, but girls don't really count, so I didn't name it Hunter Hunterson and Kids. Now you can stomp and fuss and spit and holler all you like, call me a sexist, a misogynist and what have you, but it's my business and I'll call it what I want. You don't like it? Then start your own damn monster hunting operation and hang your shingle any way you want. Me, I stick to the menfolk style of naming things. We call our operation Hunter, Hunterson, and Sons. And this book you're reading right now, this is our war journal. Now on a side note, to all you blue state bleeding hard MFers that got a problem with the term war journal, well you can just shut this book, stop reading, and go pull your little limp rope while you toss flowers at one another and dance around your wood fairy drum circle. This here journal is about actual events, and we'll call it what we like. Now if that don't blow wind up your summer dress, well, then you can just go fuck yourself. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. So. I've made my general introduction. My name is Hunter. How do you do? From here on out, gird your loins for hair-raising tales of vampires, mummies, werewolves, 
ghosts, goblins, demons, lesser devils, wizards, witches, dragons, basilisks, shapeshifters, ogres, oni, spooks, wood fairies, what, you thought I was kidding about them drum-circling pieces of alligator shit? Spectres, vapors, ghouls, and other miscellaneous undead, and an occasional rabid unicorn. On a side note, if you're an amateur hunter studying this war journal like the textbook it should be, the occasional rabid unicorn is not to be trifled with. Oh, and one final note. Hunting monsters is my business, but writing is my hobby. I fancy myself a bit of an author, like that Greg Kreitz feller. So you'll see the remainder of this war journal written out storytelling style, with an occasional aside where there's pertinent information I just have to share. This is my family. This is our company. We're happy to have you at our table. Enjoy this here war journal. Fuck, Pa, Bo said. Nothing I hate worse than a methed-out vampire breaking parole. Watch your mouth, son, I said, but I didn't say it too mean. He's my oldest. He's 18, old enough to fight and die for his country, and that gives him the right to use whatever language he wants. When we're not on an open channel, of course, and his mother isn't listening in. If I don't bust his ass for that kind of talk, she'll twist my nuts clean off when we get back home. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Only nut twisting we do at the Hunterson house don't exactly hurt. Much, anyway. Sometimes Betty Lou gets a little overexcited. Sorry, Paul, Bo said. He wasn't sorry, though. He was doing that for show just as much as I was. In the field, I'm in charge. Back home, my wife tends to ride herd, and you do not want to be in her gun sights. Bo and I were in the Ford. It's a black 250 with an extended suspension. Pretty much gotta have extended suspension in any vehicle Bo rides in. Now, there's some famous ghost hunting vehicles out there in popular culture, like the Ecto-1, or the General Lee, or the Mystery Machine, so I figured my modified truck needs a name as well. I call it the Duke, named after a blue tick I had when I was a boy. Thirty years on, and I still miss that dog something fierce, I tell ya. Now, when I say the Duke is modified, I'm talking about a bit more than an extended suspension. We've made us a little money in the monster stomping business, and I firmly believe in reinvesting profits. We got us steel plate armor, puncture-proof fuel cells, and a Dillon Arrow M134D Gatling minigun with about 3,500 rounds. I call the Gatling gun my big stick. And I can't forget something real special we got for emergencies, something I call the Tickler. I won't get into what the Tickler can do just yet. Now, a flat black, tinted window, 9,000-pound Ford F-250 might not look all that out of place back home in Slayerville, but here in San Francisco, the damn thing sticks out like a naked streaker in church. The radio squawked. Daddy, are you there? It was Luke, back in the station wagon with his mama. Luke hates staying in the station wagon, but he's only 16, and he's not quite ready for all the action that can come our way. Not that he's a pussy by any stretch. I am six foot two, 200 pounds, and he's already taller than me, at 16. By the time the boy is done growing, he's going to be a real specimen. Makes me wish we could have left him in school to play football, toughen him up a little. But some things are more important than keeping a boy with his friends. Things, for example, like tracking a methed-out vampire parole violator. I picked up the handset. Go ahead, Luke. 
Pa, that chuck sticks out like Uncle Jake in the swimsuit competition at the county fair, Luke said. I know Vlad is all kinds of methed out, but he sees that thing, he's going to know we're after him. I thought about that for a moment. Half annoyed, my own son would dare to correct me, half proud that he was right to do so. If you're a daddy of teenage boys, you know that feeling of mixed emotions. Now, Bo ain't dumb by any stretch, but when people talk about my kids, they call him the big one. They tend to call him some other names, but when they use those names, it don't end well. Anyway, Bo is the big one, while Luke is the smart one. Luke looks like the anorexic offspring of a scarecrow and a malnourished stork, mind you, but he's loaded for bear in the brains department. Betty Lou, I said, knowing full well she could hear me on the CB. Bring the station wagon up here and drop off Luke. He'll drive the Duke back to the hotel. You follow him and make sure he goes. But Pa, Luke said, I want to go with. Quiet. You do what I tell you, boy, and you do it now. Put your mother on. After a pause, I heard the voice belonging to the love of my life. Honey, I'll make sure Lukey does as he's told. Well, thank you, sugar. But you be careful with my boy, Bo. We don't know this town. Things are different here. Yes, ma'am. You got any buzz from the NP? Not even an itch. Take the portable. I'll let you know. Sunshine! Lukey! Shut it! Those last four words made me move the receiver away from my ear. I knew from experience that Luke and Sunshine were whining to go with on the hunt, and that Betty Lou had turned in the driver's seat to correct them. Thing was, Betty Lou never seemed to remember that the handset was still in front of her mouth. Hunter, she said in her normal, sweet tone of voice, you remember what I told you about my vision? Yep, red awning and white letters. You still don't know what it says? That wasn't in the vision, but I'm not talking about the awning and you know it. I sighed. Yeah, I know it. Vlad's with something real bad. Something bad enough to scare him. Go do your job, sugar, but be careful. You come home to me. I sniffed a bit. Always makes my heart ache when she says shit like that. And if you want to tease a man for getting a little emotional with the love of his life, well, I know there's some woods around here somewhere, and in them is a switch with your name on it. You and I can settle up on that later if you like. I put the handset back in the CB. Son, I said to Bo, you ready? Bo nodded, opened the door, and stepped out. I gripped the steering wheel as the Duke, now free of Bo's weight, rose up a good six inches. Sometimes I forget how big that kid is. Bo pulled his silver baseball bat out of the passenger door holster. He hung the handle loop on a special fastener he has inside his black duster. He's real proud of that bat. Made it in shop class when he was a freshman at McGuffin County High School. The coat? Well, Betty Lou made that herself. Fixed it up anyway. She got it at Hidden Treasures Consignment Shop down there on Church Street back home in Slayersville. Sewed in the anti-ecto strips one at a time, stitched in the Kevlar lining herself. Our hometown is spelled S-A-L-Y-E-R-V-I-L-L-E. But we in the business call it Slayerville on account of that's where most slayers and hunters come from. Slayerville is the source of an interdimensional rift what let in all this supernatural trouble in the first place. Back in the time of the Shawnee, all kinds of nasty shit came through that rift, killing some people, infecting others, changing others still into horrible things the descendants of which still walk most parts of the earth. People wonder why the Shawnee were so damn mean? 
You try fighting a werebear with nothing but a tomahawk and a spear, and then see if you're of a mind to ask politely for sugar in your coffee. Slayerville is also the seat of the Netherworld Protectorate, what we call the NP. That's the organization that keeps tab on monsters and whatnot, operates as judge, jury, jailer, and, if need be, executioner. Now don't get me wrong, there's all kinds of extra-dimensional people that get along just fine with regular old humanity. In my opinion, there's two kinds of monsters, them what pay taxes and them what don't. In the Hunterson family, we don't judge. That ain't our job. But if the NP puts out a reward on someone or something, well, we gotta put food on the table. We go get them and collect the reward. We're not like my brother Jake. We only kill in self-defense or to save lives. That's what had us on the trail of Vlad McCoy. He'd actually lived in Slayerville all his life, and most of his unlife as well. Hell, Bo went to school with him at McGuffin County High. They played basketball together. Tall as Vlad is, he made an excellent center. That is, until he got on the drugs. Methamphetamine is one hell of a problem in Kentucky. I know it ain't exactly a picnic elsewhere in our great nation, but where we come from, it's a chemical demon that ruins more lives than the revenuers. And that ain't limited to human lives. Zombies don't seem to have much problem with it, and shapeshifters metabolize the stuff so fast it does almost nothing. But the rest of the netherfolk can get just as cranked up as the green-toothed kid next door. That includes vampires. Vampires like Vlad McCoy. I got out of the Duke and walked over to the sidewalk. I saw the Ford's big two right tires were half on the curb and half off. Nice parking job, Pa, Bo said. Next time you can let me drive. You can drive me to my funeral. That's the only damn time you'll get your sausage-sized fingers on the Duke's steering wheel. Now come on, son. We got work to do. We started walking. Betty Lou was right. We didn't know San Francisco. Now we got hippies and scumbags and self-righteous hipsters in Kentucky. Just not as many, not as scummy, and maybe not as smelly. Bo and I started walking down Hate Street. Most times, strangers get out of my way. Betty Lou says that's on account that I scowl too much, that the spot betwixt my eyes wrinkles up like I'm a constipated bull, and that, even when I'm trying to be nice, most people think I'm about to move their liver where their kidneys go and their kidney to where their liver was. Bo, on the other hand, strangers always get out of his way. It's on account of his size, mostly, because I gotta tell you that my son has the kindest face you could ever imagine. He could stand to lay off my wife's cooking, though. So between my natural, pleasant demeanor and my son's abnormal size, most people cleared the way for us. Them that didn't weren't really moving at all. Not even ten feet from the Duke and we were stepping over able-bodied young boys and girls just laying there, looking all disheveled and asking for a handout. Bo and I ignored him. Betty Lou had a vision about Vlad's general direction and that's where we were heading. Bo, I said as we walked, before we go in there, we gotta have a little talk. He nodded. I know what you're gonna ask, Paul, but go ahead. He was on my right. I looked up at him, looked at that sweet face. The streetlights played off his black skin, so damn black that sometimes when we hunt the shadows, all you can see of that boy is his big eyes. Now I know what you're probably asking. Something along the lines of, how did a redneck like you wind up with a walking black mountain of a son? And it ain't because Betty Lou got herself a backdoor man, because she wouldn't do that. I'm the only one that's ever had marital relations with her, and she's the only one that's ever had marital relations with me. 
We wouldn't have it any other way. We feel a little sorry for those that don't. The reason I have a black son is because men make mistakes in life. Sometimes you just ain't brought up right. Sometimes you do things that make sense when you're young, but bring a lot of shame on you when you're old enough to see how the world really works. 18 years ago, I would have had one word for a boy like Bo, and that word would have been nigger. That was before his real daddy, a total stranger to me, saved my life and died in the process. As that man was dying, he made me swear to take care of his infant boy. I didn't know this man from Adam at the time, but I know him now. I studied up on him, so Bo could know exactly who he come from. Bo's daddy was Adonis Jackson, used to be a pro wrestler. Traveled the world entertaining people and whipping ass. From what I've learned, I think Adonis would have been a great daddy to Bo. But life don't always work out the way it should. For 18 years, Bo Hunterson has been my son. For all the days to follow this, Bo Hunterson is my son. In the first half of my life, I beat up a lot of black boys and black men because they were niggers. In the second half, I beat up way more white boys and white men because they called my oldest son a nigger. Sometimes, life is funny like that. Bo, you played ball with a McCoy boy, I said. I couldn't bring myself to call McCoy by his first name of Vlad, not out loud anyway. Now think for a minute, son. If he comes at you or comes at me, I know you can take care of business. But if he's just standing there and he doesn't look that threatening, are you going to be able to do your job? Bo kept walking. He was thinking. Now, some people might say that his long pauses mean that he's not that smart, but he's really just careful. Luke, he'll give you an answer before he even finish the question. Annoying as hell, and while the boy is usually right, that kind of snap reaction can make your mouth write a check your body can't cash. Bo knew he wasn't as smart as his little brother. As such, he took his time when it came to answering. That was good, because especially in this case, Bo needed to be real, real precise about how he might react to Vlad. Vlad. I remember when Vladdy was eight years old, before he got turned, coming to our door on Halloween dressed as a little bitty Count Dracula. Imagine that, a boy named Vlad dressed up as a pretend vampire. I'm not a real fucking fan of irony. But I've been dealing with netherfolk and monsters all my life. I would put Vlad down without batting an eyelash, then go get a six-pack and feel bad about it later. Bo, on the other hand, he was still pretty new to the game. Putting a stake in the heart of your childhood friend and basketball buddy don't come easy. Well, Bo said, his big feet crunching on bits of broken glass left by some bum's whiskey bottle. Well, Pa, I reckon that stomping monsters is what we do. Vlad jumped bail. He didn't kill anyone that we know of, but we seen a trail of victims he left along I-80. I may be young, but I'm not blind. I know we're in this for the money, mostly, but we also do good things. Vlad is my friend, but if we don't stop him, he's gonna kill someone for sure. We gotta get him now, hope that the NP can help him. If he becomes a killer, well, you taught me well what we do to killers. I stopped. I looked at him, then sniffed. He looked away. He's not so good with emotion. He's like his pa that way. And if you want to poke fun at me for loving my boy that was becoming a man, I already told you about that switch with your name on it. Don't make me go find it, because that really wouldn't be fun for either of us. Less fun for you than me, of course, but still. Well, actually, I might enjoy it, but only a little. 
I got myself under control. We kept walking. This wasn't the time for Daddy to get all sensitive. This was the time to pull Vlad's ticket. We stopped next to a Walgreens at the corner of Hayton Fillmore. Across the street, the business on the corner had a red awning with white letters that spelled out low-cost meat and fish market. Above it, two floors of apartments. That it? A fish market? Son, you see any other red awnings with white letters at the corner of Hayton Fillmore? No, sir. Then odds are this is it. Yes, sir. I like Bo's patience, but sometimes a body can overthink things. I pulled out my cell phone and called Betty Lou. Sometimes she can do that telepathy thing, but I don't much care for it. I can have some dark thoughts. Best if my wife doesn't try those on for size. Baby, she answered. We're here. Red awning, white letters. This is it. Okay. The NP reached me. They said to be careful that there's an Oni in town. They think he's recruiting for his legion. God damn, that ain't good. No, honey, it ain't. NP said they have new agents in town looking for him. Where's the local agents? The ones that should be here already. The Oni ate them. God damn, that ain't good. No, honey, it ain't. The NP thinks you should wait for the new agents. Did they say who these new agents were? She paused. She only does that when she knows I won't like the answer. Betty Lou, out with it now. Who is it? Meg Marshall. That Australian bitch. God damn, that ain't good. It ain't so bad, baby. You should just wait for her to get there. Wait for her? You mean she's already on her way? Another pause. Longer this time. Betty Lou, did you let them know about your vision? Did you tell them where we are? Baby, I'm sorry, but I did. I'm worried about you. It's an Oni. I think you should wait. Shit like that is the reason the name of the business isn't Hunter, Hunterson, and Wife. Women. This trip cost us a lot of money. We don't pull Vlad's ticket. We'll be way in the hole. We'll make it up. We'll find some other tickets. I can get some shifts at the diner back home. It's an Oni, Hunter. It's just not safe for you and Bo. I could hear that tone in her voice. She wasn't all that worried about me, but she was sweating bullets for her six-foot-eight, 300-pound baby boy. And shifts at the diner? Really? We were already two months back on the mortgage and three months back on payments for the Duke. Hunter, you'll wait, won't you? Sure. We'll wait. I love you. I hung up before she could respond. I looked at my son, who had heard my end of the conversation. Paul, are we really waiting? Hell no. I ain't sharing this bounty with Meg Marshall or anyone else. Besides, Meg has all the subtlety of a splatter fart. She kills anything that moves. She'll stake Vlad first and ask questions second. We have to put food on the table, son, but you're old enough to be part of the decision process. There's probably an Oni up in that apartment. We can wait, or we can go. An Oni? Are they dangerous? I glared at him until he looked down and away. Son, you've been skipping your homework again. No, sir. It's amazing that kids think their lies are convincing, isn't it? All right, all right. Then you tell me what an Oni is. Uh, it's Jap, right? Japanese. Don't use racist terms, son. Makes you sound ignorant. You know the nationality. Now how about the important stuff? He shrugged. 
Maybe I didn't study that part so much. I looked at the red awning again. Maybe I brought the wrong son on this one. Bo needed to study or he'd wind up dead. I could address that issue at another time. Time to cut him off from watching that WWE stuff till he got his priorities straight. Bo had been crazy for it ever since he'd found out his real daddy used to wrestle. Oni is a demon. They eat people. And that's bad. Don't look him in the eyes. He can hypnotize you with that shit. They got big teeth, sharp claws, and they're real strong. Some of them can go ghost. Now if that happens, we grab Vlad and get the hell out. Sometimes Oni use spike clubs and they're ugly. How ugly? You seen them Japanese masks with the twisted faces? Bo nodded. Like that. Not quite as ugly as your uncle, but it's pretty close. Bo shivered. That's pretty ugly, Paul. Well, now you know. Your lack of study has put our lives in danger, son. We'll talk about that when we get home. But for now, you have to decide. Do we go in or not? Bo thought, but he didn't think long. That phone off, Paul? It was, but I double-checked, then nodded. Fuck waiting. We need that money, Paul. Let's go stomp some ass. All right, let's go. We crossed the street. There were a few people around, but not too many. One in the morning, lit up by streetlights, the place was more active than most parts of Louisville, but downright comatose compared to New York City. Paul, when we're done, can we stop at Walgreens? I'm hungry. You're always hungry. But sure, let's get this bit of stomping done, and then we'll get some snacks. The meat shop was closed, of course. Up the street a piece was the entrance to the apartments above it. The door had a fancy metal grate, done up all scrolling-like so iron and steel could look pretty. Betty Lou could have willed it open, but she wasn't with us. Bo, open this up. Yes, sir. On his left inside flap, Bo keeps that silver bet. On his right, he's got all kinds of stuff, including a small drill with a diamond tip. He didn't waste any time, drilled right through the core of that lock, and made a screeching noise. Our bodies blocked most of it from echoing into the street. Only took Bo 30 seconds to get us in. We walked through the pretty gate to the wood door behind. He just leaned on that one, quietly snapping the door's smaller lock. We stepped inside. The place smelled like death. Not much. Maybe not enough for a regular person to detect it, but my nose is trained to such things. Paul, how's your nuts? Now you might think that's an inappropriate thing for a son to ask his father, and 99 times out of 100 you'd be right. This ain't one of those times. I'm not particularly proud of my own personal sixth sense. When it comes to the paranormal, if it ain't harmful, I can't tell what's going on around me most of the times. But when there's danger, well, my nuts shrivel up like I'm neck deep in a spring lake that still has ice chunks bobbing on the surface. And as for little Hunter, well, depending on the level of threat, he reduces to a rather unflattering travel size. That's right. When there's danger... Big Bad Hunter Hunterson gets shrinkage. I'm scrunched up halfway to Kentucky. This only could be trouble. Bo just nodded. The lobby was small but fancy, the kind of intricate things builders did back in the 20s and 30s. Decorative tile. On our right was a small couch. On the left, a staircase leading up to the second floor. Three steps that led up to the left, then a 90-degree turn into a square landing, then three more steps, then another 90-degree turn into another square landing, and finally six more steps up and to the right that disappeared into the second floor.
Those last six steps had a wall under them. If you pressed your back flat to it, someone staring down the steps wouldn't be able to see you until they hit that first landing. The lobby walls had half pillars with flourishes at the top, lots of scrolling and filigree or whatever you call it. In the designs, I recognized at least four Japanese runes. Right from day one, this building was built to house evil. I wondered how many apartment buildings in San Francisco were like it. And I wondered just how many monsters were in this city what needed stomping. My balls suddenly shriveled up a little farther. We heard heavy feet on the stairs. The stairs sounded like they were carrying a lot of weight. I pushed Bo to the wall beneath the higher set of six steps. We pressed our backs to it, tried to make ourselves as thin as possible. I had a little bit more success at that than my son did, mind you. I got a score, man! That was Vlad's voice. Didn't sound that much different from when he'd been eight. A little deeper, but also more whiny. More hiss to it, maybe. Not the evil kind of hiss, the kind from someone who has done too much damage to their lungs. We're getting Chinese first. The second voice, darker, full of gravel and hate. My balls tried to hide somewhere up in my stomach, and I knew I was hearing the Oni. I'd hoped to get them in an apartment, not here in the lobby where anyone could come in, but it didn't matter now. I reached into my shirt and pulled out my amethyst. Betty Lou had spooked it up somehow with one of her spells. If you rubbed it, you could see through the wards and glamours and all that bullshit, see through the masks worn by monsters and other mystical creatures. To most people, the supernatural looked like regular folk. To us, at least when we used Betty Lou's spells, they looked like what they were. It was time for old glory. That's what I call my silver knuckles. Now, ass-whooping knuckles is usually made of brass, but not mine. Pure silver. Plus some gems and whatnot that Betty Lou put in there. Sure, you can carry guns and spears and crossbows and what have you, but against the supernatch, more often than not, shit ends up face to face. When they came off those stairs, they'd be about two feet away. Might as well get ready to dance. Vlad was first. He was looking back behind him, whining about scoring. He wasn't paying attention. He didn't even notice us until the red-suited man stopped. Stopped and stared at Bo and me. Yep, he was ugly all right. Nasty, wrinkled red face that matched his suit. Big cheeks, wide black eyes, and a mane of wavy black hair. Blue shirt, yellow tie, red shoes. Two things I know in life. You can't pick your family, and there's no accounting for taste. He wasn't holding a club, but some of them can hide them with a glamour or a deep pocket spell. I hoped he wasn't one of those. Taking him unarmed would be much easier. There was another man behind the Oni. Small, wiry, with long white hair. He was either a wizard or a Grateful Dead fan. I hoped it wasn't both, because there ain't anything worse than a wizard what likes jam bands. Vlad, the Oni said. You should look where you're going. Vlad's head snapped around. His eyes narrowed, then went wide with recognition. Uncle Hunter! The Oni sighed and pinched the bridge of his nose. I saw the yellow claws on his fingertips. <sighs> Vlad, if I don't miss my guess, this man I see before me is a monster hunter. Yep, Vlad said. The boy's eyes kept flicking between me and Bo, who was standing behind me. Vlad, do you think that telling me you had an uncle that is a monster hunter might have been useful information? Well, it ain't like he's my real uncle, not by blood. He just took care of me a lot when I was little as all. Still pinching the bridge of his nose, the Oni nodded. Yes, of course. 
No point telling me because he's not a blood relation. Vlad, you make me doubt my decision to recruit you. Kill them. You have been listening to the Blood is Red serialized short story audiobook, written and performed by author Scott Sigler. This audiobook was produced by A. Kovacs and engineered by Ariok Morningstar. Theme music is the song Greed by Separation of Sanity. For more information on the author or to hear his free weekly fiction podcast, go to scottsigler.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.